Hello, my name's Tom Boone. And I'm Joanna Bailey. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we have for you this week. Today, I'll take a look at the impact the fighting in Israel has had on aviation, while Tom tells us why Emirates is buying more Airbus A380s. Joe will stick on the A380 topic, telling us which destinations have lost the super jumbo service this winter, while I'll see what there is to look forward to at the coming Dubai Air Show. Finally, I'll step inside the world of KLM's tiny houses to see which Dutch building had the honour of being the 104th Delft warehouse. So now you know what's in store, let's get on with the show. And Joe, what's going on in Israel is pretty serious for aviation, isn't it? Yeah, let's let's take the serious story first and then we can mm. have a bit more of a laugh later on. But, um, you know, it can't have escaped anybody's notice that the violence that has broken out in Israel this week has been, oh, catastrophic, really. Um, you know, we're always interested in the aviation angle, but of course, this is a terrible um, thing that's happening. And, you know, our thoughts are definitely with all the people affected. Um, But we are following what's going on with the planes, of course. And soon after the attack by Hamas, non-military aircraft could be seen on flight trackers, deliberately avoiding the area to the south of Tel Aviv. So they were still flying into Ben Gurion, but they were taking circuitous routes around. So they weren't crossing that kind of more dangerous part of the country. Um, This was kind of immediately after the surprise attack over the weekend. Um, And by Monday morning, several airlines had already begun to pull some services from Israel. Some have been cancelling specific flights and others have announced more extended suspensions. So at the time, this was, remember, the beginning of this week, Air France, ANA, Delta, Wizz and Brussels Airlines cancelled their services that were due in the next couple of days. Um, Iberia, Turkish and low-cost carrier Ryanair were still flying in but scaled back their operations, cancelling some of their sort of second and third daily services into the city. Oh, excuse me, and I ran out of breath then. <laughs> Lufthansa cancelled all the flights, all their flights for the beginning of the week. Um, but as the week has worn on, we've seen many more airlines revealing their strategies for keeping their airplanes and passengers safe during this dangerous time. So American Airlines, for a start, has said it will no longer fly to Israel at least until December the 4th. Air India as well has suspended services until October the 14th, but has said that it may well continue beyond that. Delta, another big um, US to Israel carrier, has pulled out for the rest of October. And Finnair has gone a step further. They've suspended all their flights until the next summer season, which is the end of next March. Um, Hainan Airlines was the only Chinese airline flying into Israel, and they've removed their flights until the end of the month as well. Um, Norwegian also flies into Israel, but they've suspended services until mid-December. So lots of other airlines, including Air France, Turkish, Lufthansa, EasyJet, Wizz, Air Canada, have suspended services until the situation stabilises. So they haven't really given a window of any dates or timeframes, but obviously they won't be reinstating services until everything calms down a bit, quite wisely probably. Um, But some airlines continue to fly to and from the country, including Air Europa and Iberia, Fly Dubai, Ryanair and Virgin Atlantic. 
Um, some have cancelled a proportion of their services, but at the time we're podcasting, um, all those airlines are still operating some sort of services into the country. Um, of course, for the incumbent airlines, which includes El Al, Israel and Arkea, uh, they don't have any choice but to operate their flights as per normal schedules. In fact, they've managed to maintain a fairly consistent schedule, although they have obviously seen some cancellations when the threat of uh, you know, potential incidents were imminent. Um, in fact, the Israeli airlines have been adding some extra services to repatriate or evacuate displaced people. Um, operations are continuing alongside these extra flights, um, but they've moved all the operations at Ben Gurion across to Terminal 3, I guess, so that they can just keep one part of the area secure rather than having airlines spread across multiple terminals. So the thing is, when the fighting broke out, many Israelis were on holiday overseas because it was the middle of the Simchat Torah holiday and it was a long weekend off of work for them. So a lot of people are trying to get home and they're finding that there aren't any airlines that can fly them. Um, this is seen, for example, El Al running some special services to holiday destinations, including Greece, Corfu and Georgia, to get these stranded passengers home. As of now, there has been no ban on overflying or flying into Israel. Um, EASA did release a bulletin yesterday called a Conflict Zone Information Bulletin, or CZIB, um, which generally kind of suggests there could be a risk with flying into Israel, but it didn't go as far to restrict any flights. Um, the FAA has taken similar action as well, uh, but it remains to be seen because things are not improving as we're speaking. In fact, Tom, I think you heard about a British Airways flight that had a bit of a nightmare today. I don't know if yeah. you can tell us any more about that. Yeah, I mean, uh, I can briefly briefly touch on it. Um, BA was flying an A350-1000 from uh, London to Tel Aviv, and it actually got all the way to Israel. It was descending to land in Tel Aviv, and um, right as it was kind of down low, it um, it's climbed out of Tel Aviv again. And as we're podcasting right now, it's currently flying back to London. Um, as a result of this, British Airways has now said that they are suspending flights to Tel Aviv. Um, and I, my understanding, obviously, it's very quickly developing right now, is that um, there was an, a rocket attack on the airport itself, which has prompted this, um, which brings me to another thing that I kind of wanted to discuss on this point, which is, um, you know, you mentioned it recently or uh, briefly about EASA and that haven't said don't overfly uh, Israel at all. Um, one resource that I quite like reading um, on the internet, which I find is very impartial on these sorts of things, is called Safe Airspace. Um, and they basically collate all of what everyone, EASA, the FAA, all of the little regional uh, regulators as well is saying. And they are saying, basically, you know, this is an active conflict zone and no one should be flying in it um, because you've essentially got the risk of, uh, you know, what happened with MH... Um, MH um, 17. 17. Yeah, I didn't want to get the wrong one um, <laughs> and stuff like this. And they said one, one thing that I found um, really interesting from their assessment of this was that um, El Al is actually putting on additional flights to bring back um, military reservists, like you said. And they were suggesting that this could actually have the opposite effect of making civil aviation more of a target because um, there are these reserve uh, military personnel on board of these flights. So, um, you know, I just, I just hope for, for everyone that we don't have um, another similar disaster to what we've mm. seen in the past. 
Absolutely. I, I do suspect that if things continue mm. in this vein, we could see a closure of the airspace, um, mm. which, you know, is another massive headache for airlines flying east to west. You know, Israel occupies quite a key part of territory there, um, mm. and particularly with Russia closed as well. Lots of airlines have been kind of overflying the Gulf and that kind of area. Um, but, you know, if it keeps people safe, then absolutely it's necessary and airlines mm. will have to suck it up sunshine. <laughs> I mean, in aviation, safety is always number one. So Definitely, definitely. So we will continue reporting on developments on simpleflying.com. Do check in to see how things have changed by the time the podcast goes out and if everything we've just told you is absolute nonsense. But uh, mm. for now, I'll hand over to Tom to talk about something a little more cheerful. Tom's A380 podcast. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> um, yeah, I wanted to um, go to another part of the Middle East and talk about Emirates because, you know, you... We, we run so many stories about, you know, Thai Airways or Air France or whoever is trying to sell their A380s, or at least the lessers behind them are trying to sell their A380s and having no luck. Um, but there is one lesser that is having luck selling A380s, and that is Doric <laughs> Finance. Um, what has been happening is that um, Dubai-based Emirates has been purchasing some of the aircraft as they've been coming off of lease. So um, in an update issued on the London Stock Exchange uh, on Monday, I think it was now, uh, Doric Nimrod Air 2, which is a sort of sub part of Doric uh, Asset Finances, uh, revealed that it had agreed to sell two of the seven Airbus A380s that it owns to Emirates in the coming months as their leases expire. Um, the update said that MSN 77, which is registered A6EDP, uh, is expected to be sold on October 14th with MSN 90 A6EDT for Tango following on December 2nd. What I find quite interesting is that these dates are exactly 12 years after the respective aircraft were delivered to Emirates. Um, <laughs> so clearly they were on a 12-year lease. Um, and commenting, what I, I find really fascinating about this press release or this uh, stock exchange filing is how much detail we have. Because, you know, usually aircraft sales, when the aircraft sales are involved, money numbers are very hush-hush. Hmm. Um, but this actually said that the sale proceeds to be paid by Emirates to the company are £28.9 million in respect of each asset, Ooh. equivalent to $35 million US dollars. Um, so that combines together as a total of 70 million US dollars for the two aircraft. We did speak to Emirates and a spokesperson confirmed the transaction but declined to comment further, which I understand. Um, but it's interesting because at the start of the year, we already reported that Emirates had bought what was then a 14-year-old aircraft from Doric Nimrod Air 1. Um, and this aircraft was sold for 30.5 million US dollars, again, 12 years after its delivery. So, um, you know, that's um, there was a 4.5 different a million difference in the price of these two aircraft, which I found um, fairly interesting. What I find it particularly interesting, though, about these specific aircraft is that they haven't flown since the pandemic. They've all, all three of the ones that Emirates, that I know Emirates has bought, um, have been sitting at Dubai World Central with the engine covers on. Um, so it, it kind of makes you wonder what Emirates is going to do with these aircraft, whether it's going to be using them for spare parts to keep the rest of the fleet going. Or perhaps they are, uh, you know, there's a kind of three options. Spare parts is number one, I think. Another option is, you know, you could keep these aircraft grounded. And okay, they're getting older, but, um, you know, flight cycles and hours uh, play a very big role in the 
age of an aircraft. Um, so perhaps, you know, as older aircraft are retired, these ones that haven't flown so much could be brought in again um, to do some flying. Or, you know, the, the other thing is, even without that aspect of them being brought in to replace aircraft, they could just be brought in to boost the A380 fleet in the meantime. Mm. Um, the This obviously left me with the question, could Emirates buy more Airbus A380s? And, you know, I can't say yes, but I can theorize. Um, <laughs> so in the release on the stock exchange, Doric uh, said that they still own five more A380s. And the leases of these are all going to expire between October 1st and November 24th next year. Um, they didn't say if they're planning to sell them or if Emirates is planning to buy them. But, you know, with the 777X um, still a way off, and I think Emirates' A350s are still a way off anyway, uh, you know, perhaps it will make sense for the airline to buy more of the aircraft in the meantime. Mm, definitely. Definitely. We'll have to see. Mm. <laughs> it's quite interesting. They're still parting with money for the Airbus A380 so long after it stopped being produced. But Yeah, uh, it's, well, I just find it fascinating that, you know, every if you told someone, can you sell an A380, just randomly, they'd be like, no way. Mm-hmm. And, it turns out you can, but only under this very niche set of circumstances. Well, unless you speak to a normal person, he yeah. would probably say, what's an A380? <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I am continuing the theme of Tom's Airbus A380 podcast because our roots analyst, James Pearson, James Pearson did some interesting analysis that I wanted to share with you guys um, about the A380 operations this winter. So pre-pandemic, which was when we saw lots more A380s than we do today, um, mm. the Airbus A380 flew to 64 airports in winter of 2019. This winter, that number's down to just 56, um, which is not 14 less. But that's because there are six airports that now do have A380 service that didn't pre-pandemic. So those six lucky airports are Amman, Bengaluru, Chicago, Denpasar, Glasgow and Istanbul. Chicago is an interesting one, actually. It's a British Airways service, but it's only temporary. So they were flying over the summer. Um, quite a lot to Chicago with the A380. And and during the winter, the only scheduled flights with the A380 from British Airways is um, from November the 15th to December the 12th. There's no further scheduled service into the city beyond that by the type. Um, And actually, it's not scheduled for next summer at the moment. So it may be the last it's going to be seen at Chicago for a little while. Um, But 14 destinations have lost their regular A380 service entirely since 20. 2019. Some of them did restart after COVID and have since stopped, but lots of them never restarted. So let's go with the ones that never restarted first. Um, Abidjan used to see service from Air France's A380s mm-hmm. up until December 2019. Of course, famously, Air France retired the type, so it won't be going back this winter. They were um, the first ones to get rid of all of them. They were, they were. Ben Smith really didn't like the Airbus A380. (laughs) Um, So Mexico City as well is a victim of Air France's super jumbo retirement. So they used to fly quite regularly into Mexico um, and their last flight down there was March 2020. So they're not getting any A380 service this winter. Emirates, of course, being the biggest operator of A380s, sent it to lots of airports over the years. Um, But pre-pandemic, it would send them regularly to Barcelona, Copenhagen, Medina, Muscat, Prague and Riyadh. None of those destinations have been served by the giant since 2020. Um, 
Shenzhen in China, of course, used to see A380 service from China Southern, but that's another airline that has retired the jet. Um, and Osaka is perhaps the biggest loser in the, what should we call it, new normal period, um, because it used to see regular flights from Thai, from Emirates, Singapore Airlines and Asiana right up until March 2020. Today and for the rest of this winter, not one of those airlines will fly the Super Jumbo into the airport. So, sorry, Osaka. <laughs> <laughs> but the four remaining airports that have lost their winter service this year, they have had service since the pandemic, um, but they're not going to see it this season. So, Hamburg used to welcome Emirates A380. Uh, it last regularly flew there between October 2021 and October 22. Um, nice in France saw the return of Emirates A380 in June this year, but there are no flights scheduled for the winter. Vienna, Vienna got some A380s from Emirates, of course. <laughs> they came back from March 2021 until July 2022, but there'll be no service this winter. Um, notably, forward schedules show that none of the airports I've mentioned there are planned to have Airbus A380 service next summer either. Of course, things do change. So, you know, that might be different when we get a bit closer to the summer season and more schedules come out. But as it stands at the moment, the A380's gone for almost for good, I guess. Um, but the final airport I wanted to mention is Boston, because that's previously seen Emirates A380 service up until January 2020. Um, British Airways through, flew the A380 there, but ended that in October 2019. Post-pandemic, BA did return with the A380 from May 2022, but it's not going to be flying there this winter. However, Boston has a lot of A380 love to look forward to, because from June next year, um, not only will British Airways be returning with the A380, but also Lufthansa will be there with a seasonal summer schedule from Munich. So uh, Bostonians, look out for the Super Jumbo because you're getting a couple more next summer. Yeah, well, uh, maybe they'll have more luck than me because I feel like I never see A380s at Frankfurt these days and it's just 747, 747, 747. <laughs> Most was, people would be pleased for that, Tom. <laughs> well, I know, but I went, I walked outside um, and before 8am I'd already seen two 747s, which I feel like is more than most people see in a week. So, yeah, certainly. <laughs> um, but speaking of 747s and where I won't see a 747 perhaps, <laughs> is <laughs> there was a great segue. Don't <laughs> laugh. Um, I wanted to talk about the Dubai Air Show because that's now just a month away, could you believe? Um, our lovely middle of uh, November uh, air show is coming up quickly. And the really interesting thing, at least for me, is that the initial iteration of the aircraft display list went live yesterday as we record this, so Tuesday. And I say initial uh, iteration, and I want to make this clear because there was maybe some ambiguity in the comments of the article. There's going to be 180 plus aircraft at the air show, and so far we only know about 33 of them. So this is not by any means the complete list. Um, but, uh, you know, we uh, are going to have already a fantastic commercial aircraft lineup. So uh, Aircraft Industries is bringing their L410NG, which is a small twin prop um, that we've written about a couple of times, actually, which surprised me because I was looking for it. And the first thing that popped up was our coverage. And I'd never heard of this thing before. So I'm going to check that <laughs> out. Um, de Havilland is bringing their twin otter. Everyone loves a twin otter, I guess. Um, is it the new one, though? Is it the one they've improved the avionics and things? 
Google Chrome. It's the Dash 6400. So honestly, Joe, I couldn't tell you because you know me, I'm not a big propeller fan. But um, I would imagine, you know, show off your new things. Um, Embraer is bringing an E190. Um, I would, it, it's interesting because right now it just says the E190, but I would think it would be the E190 E2. Because, of course it would be. Yeah. yeah, they wouldn't bring an old plane when they're trying to sell exactly. their new ones. Uh, Beyond, who I just had the privilege of chatting or sitting in a press conference about their launch, um, they're bringing their Airbus A319 that's got an all-premium leisure ca um, cabin. They said it was not all business. Uh, it's all premium leisure, uh, but it's basically all business. Saudi is going big. Um, they currently have the most. They're planning to bring the 320neo, the 321neo, and the 787-10. And I assume they're going to have their lovely retro green livery on that. So... Mm. Um, I'm That'll really be nice looking to forward see in to. Person. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Etihad so far only has the seven eight seven dash nine. I guess one of the ones with the nice livery, like the Manchester City or the Green Liner, but that might be a ten actually. The Green Liner, I'm not sure. Um, and Emirates, as always, is bringing the triple seven and the A three eighty. They're always fan favourites. Um, always a big queue to get on their A three eighty. Speaking of private jets, who doesn't love a private jet with their luxury and glamour? Uh, so far, just six are confirmed to attend so far. And actually, one of them is actually a training aircraft too. Uh, so Dassault is bringing the Falcon 6X, which I think hadn't flown by Paris, uh, if I recall correctly, but it has flown now. So I think this will be the air show debut of that. Um, Embraer is bringing the Praetor 600 and... Uh, Emirates is bringing the Phenom 100 EV, which is one, uh, it's it's used more for crew training than as a private jet. Um, Pilatus Aircraft is bringing the PC-24, which um, again, hopefully that's the new and improved one that just got launched yesterday, I believe it mm, was. That's right, yep. Uh, Royal Jet is bringing a 737-700 Boeing business jet, which Ooh, everyone lovely. loves. Yep. Uh, and Skymark Executive is bringing the Gulfstream G450, uh, 450, whatever you want to call it. Um, in terms of light aircraft, there's only four right now. The Extra 330LT, which is quite a sporty little number, I think. Um, two aircraft from Diamond. Diamond itself is bringing the Diamond DA50, while Emirates is bringing the DA42NG and the Cirrus S. 22 and both of these again uh, are used trainers. for training yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I think we saw them in Dubai last year didn't we they're very cute yeah. with the Emirates livery and everything they are there's actually a picture of uh, the Cirrus in our in our uh, with the uh, the private jet hiding behind in our coverage if anyone is interested of course you know there's loads of military stuff going to be coming because it's got uh, Dubai has quite a heavy military aviation presence um, so far there is the China National Aero Tele. Technology Corporation L15 Advanced Jet Trainer. Dassault is bringing the Rafale. Um, nice. Embraer with the little A29 Super Tucano Crop Duster, as I call it. <laughs> uh, and the C390 uh, Heavy Transport Aircraft. Korea Aerospace Industry with the Rotary Wing Aircraft. And then Pakistan Aeronautical Complex Camera are bringing the JF-17 Thunderblock 2, Thunderblock 3, and Super Mushak. I don't know what any of those things are. <laughs> I don't, but I'm keen to see. Um, it's one thing I did want to talk. I'm going on and on about okay. planes, um, but Evito, you know, for. yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, but Evito, you know, that was such a huge thing in Paris this year. Mm. Um, so far, only one Evito prototype is confirmed to be coming to Dubai, and that is um, the Autoflight POC4-2. 
that's um, like the one I haven't seen yet because okay. I think I've seen those to the others. <laughs> I'll take a picture for you then and send Thanks. it. Um, there were some notable absences um, that I was interested in. So typically, you know, Airbus brings its full lineup of commercial products. Usually um, it enlists airlines to bring actual in-service aircraft rather than mm. just bringing all the demo planes. Um so there's not a full lineup there yet. I would imagine, you know, the 220, the 320 Neos. Um, 350, 1000 for sure. Three, yeah, 350, maybe the 330s are going to be there. So watch out for that. Boeing also doesn't have any of its aircraft yet. I would imagine it's going to bring the 777X and of course. the 737 MAX uh, 10 maybe. Because, Probably, yeah. Uh, we've been seeing them a lot recently at air shows. Um, I would expect some of the UAE airlines to like fly Dubai and Air Arabia to also get involved. Um, maybe Wizz Air Abu Dhabi as well, um, mm-hmm. like previous years. And also, one thing that I did want to note is that Qatar Airways is going to be attending its first Dubai air show since the Qatar blockade was lifted in Ooh, early 2021. That's a huge political statement if it they're is, happy so, to go back to Dubai air show. Wow. So I'm quite excited to see whether they bring an aircraft with them because they've got a chalet. So uh, why not show an aircraft off too? Um, Maybe they can bring an A380 and so I was just going to say, <laughs> I, was just gonna say uh, <laughs> I would love it if, uh, if you're listening, Mr. Albaca, please bring the A380. <laughs> Bring all your A380s and just leave them with Emirates. Yeah, your give problem me one. now. <laughs> oh, it sounds like it's going to be a great show. It and, will, uh, it will. Yeah, I'm quite jealous, but also not jealous that I'm going to miss the heat this year because it was a, a real killer last year. Yeah, um, Summit has to bear with that and me this year. <laughs> But yeah, do check out simpleflying.com for all our coverage of the Dubai Air Show mm. as it kicks off. We're going to have, like we did last, I keep saying last year, it was two years ago, um, we have a lovely little hub page where we keep everything updated and we keep mm. adding the stories as they break so you can go to one place and get updated on all the news. But mm. uh, we'll tell you more about that a bit nearer the time. Yeah, keep an eye on our website. You won't miss it. <laughs> <laughs> we like to shout about it. Um, but I want to finish off the podcast by telling you about my little trip because last week I got to attend a birthday party and it was a birthday party for a lovely blue airline called KLM. Um, Yes, KLM turned 104, which I think is incredible in itself. Um, You know, it seems like their centenary was only yesterday, but now it's 104. And of course, as has been the tradition for a few decades now, a birthday means the introduction of a brand new Delft warehouse for the collection. Um, If you've ever flown business class, you'll be very familiar with these, but they're given out to business class passengers as a bit of a souvenir um, and they generally come filled with Bowles Geneva which is a Dutch gin um, every one of the houses that they've included in the collection is a real place in Holland and in fact while I was there we took a tour of Amsterdam with a Dutch historian to find some of the places that have previously been featured as houses so it was very cool to see the um, KLM little houses in like real life (laughs) and they are very good copies actually some of them are very iconic buildings like the Rice Museum or Anne Frank's house for example others might be important to Dutch culture or aviation so one of the houses is the birthplace of Anthony Fokker. Another one is the Heineken Brewery building. Um, But every year they manufacture around a million of these houses, which I think is phenomenal number really um 850,000 are filled with the Geneva gin um, but 150,000 or so are left empty for flying into those markets where alcohol is rather frowned upon um but you know over the years they've become incredibly collectible 
even though most of them are still only worth a few euros on the open market. But some of them are worth a lot more. And I found this really exciting because KLM also produces some specials and some limited editions. And those can be worth an awful lot more. So, for example, they've been giving out a giant miniature, which sounds like a contradiction in terms, but it's like a bigger miniature of the Royal Palace to the winner of the KLM Open Golf Tournament. They've been doing that since 2004. One example was was auctioned off a couple of years ago and it fetched an amazing 11,000 euros. <laughs> not bad <laughs> for a golf prize. <laughs> not bad for a golf prize. Um, there's also a smaller royal palace, which is only given out to people that have flown in well business class at least 60 times a year for at least 10 years and have accumulated more than a million miles in KLM's Flying Blue programme. So if you've got that one, that fetches about 550 euros at auction. Um, but most of the little ones, you know, even if they're still sealed with the stopper and everything, you'll be lucky to get more than sort of 20, 30 euros for them. But they're lovely things to collect. Um, and I got my first KLM house when I went to the reveal of this new house for 2023. Um, and the newest addition to the collection actually wasn't a building in Amsterdam at all. So this year, new CEO Marianne Rintel had the honour of choosing her very first house. And she picked a train station in a town about three hours south of the capital. Well, we love our transport connections. So. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Sounds a bit kind of um, a bit of a weird choice, but there are reasons which I'll uh, I'll explain. So it's located in a town called Valkenburg, um, and they chose to honour the building because it's the oldest working rail station in the Netherlands. And uh, having been there and seen it, it is beautiful. It looks like a miniature castle. It's very cool um, and kind of an unsurprising choice, maybe, because actually Marianne Rintel used to be the CEO of NS Dutch Rail ways. Um, but to launch the miniature, of course, KLM hosted a lively reception in front of the building in Valkenburg. What I thought was really nice was it was attended not just by kind of press and influencers and airline staff, but most of the guests there, around 250 of them, were the airline's loyal customers from the local area. So real passengers, which I thought was great. Um, you know, the CEO did tell us that the choice of the rail station wasn't just about her history. It was also representative of KLM's focus on intermodal transportation for a lower carbon future. Um, so, you know, there are no agreements at the moment between KLM and NS Dutch Railways to provide connections for people travelling throughout the Netherlands. Um, but there are conversations ongoing about ways in which rail could replace some of the short flights from Schiphol. Mm. I know that's a big focus on Brussels, I think, is definitely there. Definitely. I was going to say KLM has already begun working with other rail companies outside oh. of um, the Netherlands. Because Spoilers. <laughs> Tom always spoils my stories with his insider information. Um, so... Uh, Earlier this year, KLM expanded its relationship with Thales um, to begin replacing short-haul flights with train travel to Brussels. So passengers flying into Schiphol with a final destination of Brussels can now book a sing single itinerary that includes both the air and rail all on one ticket. And of course, that comes with, you know, connection guarantees and disruption management and things like that as well. Um, but as well as the railway, KLM does operate its very own bus. And I got to ride on it all the way from Amsterdam to Valkenburg. It was 
was great. Um, obviously, this is to give people access to Schiphol without driving and to reduce the number of vehicles coming into the airport. Um, but it's really cool. It's stylishly liveried to look just like a plane. It's even got kind of a mask over the windows. So although the windows are still big like a bus, you're looking out like a little porthole like an airplane. Um, so if you want to pick up the KLM bus, it picks up from Maastricht, Eindhoven, Arnheim and Nyman. I've probably butchered that, never mind. I've done <laughs> um, worse. <laughs> but best of all, it's completely free with any air ticket booking. You don't have to be business, any any booking at all. And it runs on biodiesel, so it further reduces the CO2 impact of travel. And I loved it. You know, as buses go, it's probably up there with one of my top three. Yeah, I mean... There's not so many buses. I've seen a little Emirates bus floating around sometimes. Um, and I, they have the Emirates bus actually in Tokyo. Um, oh, okay. That was a story from a couple of months ago, I think. But, you know, I love seeing bus liveries on, um, on or airplane liveries on buses. It's just yeah. you can't beat the coolness. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I mean, we were driving out of Amsterdam and lots of people were looking. I mean, you know, this bus must drive to the airport every day. But I guess it doesn't go through the centre of Amsterdam every day because people were literally stopping and pointing. They must have really enjoyed it. Um, hmm. But yeah, do go and check out the new KLM house. It's very cool. And we'll have some other stories from my chat with KLM CEO coming in the next few days. But I think for now, that's about all we've got time for on today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and welcome your feedback at editorial at simpleflying.com. For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a rating on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Bye.